again, we have this misperception, like there's so many babies. It's just simply untrue. Um, there are way more adopting families trying to adopt on the private adoption side than there are kiddos being placed for adoption. Welcome to FemPower Health. Georgie here. As we embark on the third episode of our three-part series, a quick reminder for all our listeners. Check out our website for content tailored to your specific topic of interest or life stage. Earlier in the series, we delved deep into the intricacies of fertility treatments, debunking myths and presenting facts. We've also explored the challenging decisions surrounding embryo donation. Today, in this concluding episode, we're focusing on a transformative solution in the adoption space. In an era marked by the rise of open adoption and the vast reach of the internet, there emerges a critical need for enhanced collaboration. Peartree is one such platform at the vanguard of this movement. We're thrilled to have Erin Keedy Quick, the founder of Peartree, with us today to share her personal journey, provide insights into the adoption industry's challenges, and discuss how Peartree is innovating solutions. As always, if you find value in our episodes, please take a moment to write a review. It helps spread the word and ensure our content reaches those who need it most. And if today's episode resonates with you, don't hesitate to share it with friends and family. Together, we can create a community of informed, connected listeners. Now, let's dive into today's enriching conversation. Erin, it's so nice to talk to you again, and welcome to the FemPower Health Podcast. One of my closest friends actually told me about Pear Tree, and we actually had just a quick intro call. And it was so lovely to get to know you. And I just really wanted to give you a platform to share all the great work you're doing. And maybe we can start with your background so people can understand that context. And then we can dive into our fun conversation. Thanks for having me. And I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, sure, I can give a quick background on me. So my background and my career, I did 25 years in global brand positioning consulting. uh, And I loved it. I was actually, I ran my own firm for about 15 years in Seattle and we got to work on big, big fortune 50 brands. And it was, it was a blast. Um, But while running that company, we, I I did what most women do today, working women. And I delayed trying to get pregnant. I actually spent a lot of time trying to avoid getting pregnant until I was the ripe old age of 33. And we, my husband and I were like, okay, we're ready. Um, And so we tried for a year, nothing worked. We got recommended to reproductive technology. We went through years and years and a lot of money in that space. And we did everything under the sun. We started with IUIs and then we did IUIs with drugs and then rounds of IVF. And I could get pregnant, but I couldn't stay pregnant. And so we went through, it was our third miscarriage that was pretty tragic. I mean, all of them are tragic. Um, And it's, you realize you're part of this underground club that nobody wants to be part of. Um, but, um, it was after our third miscarriage that we just felt totally broken. I mean, I felt like emotionally for sure broken, physically broken. Um, and then financially we were, we were drained. And so, um, we decided to stop reproductive technology and move into adoption. And, um, it was an easier transition for us to make because back in the kind of naive dating days, um, my husband and I were like, let's have one and adopt one without knowing at all what went into any of those journeys. And so we decided on adoption, but, um, 
quickly we were like, whoa, when we were doing the research, what is this world where it's, you know, average costs to adopt an infant today, 75 to $90,000 and timelines, 18 to 24 months. And the, the processes you go from reproductive technology, which is like high touch, high care protocol, dedicated care navigator, everything is scheduled to a T and check-ins and blood work and science. And it feels like dropping off a cliff when you move into the world of adoption, because it's a lot of a kind of like fingers crossed, wait well kind of thing. And that didn't appeal to me as much. And so um, we ended up pursuing what's called the route called self-matching, which is where you run point on your own adoption process. We were in Washington state. You can't do this in every state, but the process that we walked through was we, we hired a social worker in our state to approve us to adopt. That's called a home study. And then we went and hired an adoption attorney, put him, him on retainer and, and said, we'll call you when, when we need you. And then the real daunting part is you have to go out and connect with an expectant mom. And so at the time, there were a few websites kind of like very similar to um, online dating sites. And I'm not trying to take away from how complex adoption is in, in that analogy, but they operate very similarly. And within a month, we connected with an expectant mom and we found ourselves in a hospital room in Michigan. And um, that was the birth of our son. And then three years later, when we were ready for another kid, we walked through the exact same process and connected with a family in Houston, Texas. And that was the birth of our daughter. Wow. And so once we went through those adoptions, people just came out of the woodwork and were like, help us do what you did. And so I started helping people. And then I started, I was like, you know what, maybe there's a business here. Cause I found myself liking helping people through adoption more than the brand work I was doing. And so I looked into it and I was kind of floored at, at, you know, the quote unquote industry of adoption and thought like, wow, there's an opportunity here to use technology to create some good to modernize this process. And that was the kind of the origin birth story of Pear Tree. Wow. I don't know if it's my hormones or what's going on, but um, now I'm just, as I was listening to you, just everything was coming back of just how hard the journey is. Like, I almost want to start crying. Like, I just, for whatever reason, it's just hit a chord. I mean, this whole process when you're struggling with infertility and you haven't yet chosen to adopt. And obviously if there are people who want to adopt, you help them too. Obviously it's not just those struggling with um, infertility, but just to close the loop for those who may be listening, who are struggling, just empathizing with just how hard that is. Um, Like the fertility treatments themselves. Like I remember every month, am I pregnant? Am I pregnant? Am I pregnant? Am I pregnant? Mm -hmm. And you never know when the road's going to end. And then you have to make, you know, decisions along the way. And I would equate it to a roulette wheel. I'm like, well, I'm just going to throw the ball and see where I land today. And then you have to just make Mm. tough choices. And and I agree with you. There's this underground network of those of us who are trying to build our families. And even those probably on the adoption route, as you're going to share likely today, it's probably very similar. Yeah, maybe there's clear steps, but you still don't know. So the majority of people that find their way to pear tree to pursue adoption are coming from two groups of people. The largest group are people that have been, um, I call them kind of you know, battle tested on the fields of fertility. 
um, that they have gone through. They've either been diagnosed with infertility at this point, um, and they've gone through, you know, kind of, it's all relative in terms of how much somebody tries in reproductive technology. We, we know people that have gone through seven or eight rounds of IVF before they make the decision. We know people that have tried one round before they make the decision. And, and we obviously kind of honor and respect however Absolutely. people get there. But then the other are um, LGBTQ, and those aren't, obviously aren't mutually exclusive. Um, but for the families that are coming to us through infertility, it's very common for me to be on calls with families a couple times a week crying mm. because I, I mean, if the, it's so, it was, it's almost a decade ago for us and it is still so fresh in my mind. Those feelings come flooding back. I call them the dark days. Um, because I was just so sad. I was sad and I was angry and I was jealous and I was disappointed in my body and, um, and, you know, I just like those, like they're, they're emotionally fueled days and our families that are going through adoption also have dark days when they are waiting and they're wondering why they're not getting picked or they're wondering why they're not even getting a chance to connect with an expectant mom. And it happens in infertility, it happens in adoption. And it's just one of those things, like, I'm just glad we're able to talk about it now because I remember feeling really, really alone going through it, even though now it's one in six families. One in six families. Oh, as far as the infertility stats, I know it was one in set. Was it one in seven before? And now it's one in six. Well, the last, I think the um, World Health Organization, the last survey I, I had seen before they came out just this last year with one in six, it was in 2010 and it was one in eight. And so that's a pretty big leap in terms of people that are being diagnosed with infertility. And so I kind of have this, like, you know, if you play it forward, what happens in the next decade or two decades is I'm, I'm, I think I would assume that what are called kind of the alternate paths to family building now, like reproductive technology and adoption, um, using a, a donated embryo, um, donor gamete, whatever it ends up being, I think like those are probably going to become the norm relatively soon. So you, you found in your own journey, the challenges with the process of adoption. And by the way, kudos to you for figuring out how you were able to do it on your own. That's an amazing story. You know, you have these two separate main groups of people who are aiming to have a child. Like, tell us about why the system is so incredibly challenging to go through. Like, what makes it so hard? What's underneath it all? Outside of that obvious of, I hope I get picked, because there's a lot more to it than than that. So, so walk us through like the parts you understand that we should be aware of. I think this is kind of a jaw dropper for a lot of people because we grow up with this misperception of like, Oh, there's so many babies that need homes. And it's not untrue on the foster care side that there are a lot of children, older children that need homes. That's there's, there are thousands of kids in the foster care system. However, the goal of foster care is to reunite those kiddos with their biological families. And so for families that are interested in permanent placement of a child, um, private adoption is the, is the type of adoption. That's the path that, that most families will pursue. Um, because foster, you could have a kid in your home for a while. But again, like the goal is to make sure that kiddo can get back to their biological family. And so um, it, that doesn't appeal to everyone that is looking to build their families. And so I think on the private adoption side, I think the, one of the reasons, like, again, we have this misperception, like there's so many babies. It's just simply untrue. 
Um, there are way more adopting families trying to adopt on the private adoption side than there are kiddos being placed for adoption. The Just to throw out some numbers, um, and granted, there is no real federal body tracking this. And so these are anecdotal, but um, based on you know, some good sources, the NCFA, the National Council for Adoption, puts out these numbers. They do a pretty pretty thorough survey once a year. There's around a million families, anywhere from a million to two million families every year that are actively pursuing private adoption. There are 140,000 private adoptions in the United States. So that's one of the reasons that adopting families have kind of a longer wait time. Um, But I think one of the reasons that I got into this is because the adoption quote-unquote industry, I hate calling using that word, but people that work in adoption, adoption professionals, are typically bound by their geography. So if you are an adoption agency, if you're an adoption attorney, if you're an adoption social worker, you are licensed to practice within your state. But 85% of adoptions are happening across state lines. And so what happens is if I'm an adoption professional, say in Arizona, and I have an expectant mom walk into my agency, there has never been a platform to connect me, adoption professional in Arizona, to all the other adoption professionals across the nation who are have families who have expectant moms. And so what that means is if an expectant mom walks into my agency, sure, I have probably 10 families that I'm serving by my agency. But what if those families aren't a good fit for this expectant mom? What if they're not what she's looking for? I can go out to my network, but again, like what we want and what we do at Pear Tree now is we work with licensed ethical adoption professionals and make sure they're connected to every other licensed ethical adoption professional in the United States so that when an expectant mom walks in, that professional has access to all of the adopting families in the United States and vice versa. It gives adopting families way more Uh, opportunity to connect with an expectant mom, because if we were able to network all of these, and this is one of the reasons that I think adoption has had, um, well, it's kind of getting a bad rap in terms of, and and adoption professionals kind of get a bad rap. Um, It's because they have never had the ability to see all the opportunities. They just see them in their specific licensed, geographically bound area. And so it has limited opportunities for everybody. But in, you know, if we're able to open it up, which is what Pear Tree is doing, everyone sees more opportunities and expectant moms get more choice, which is so, so, so important. I have many friends who have done adoption and it's interesting. One friend of mine actually did go the foster parent route and um, she was actually one who went on the route of ha- trying one IVF and she and her husband said, we're done. And she actually now has four kids through just fostering. So like very unique situation that one of the moms kept having a child. And so she wanted to adopt, keep the siblings together. And, but that's her case. But nonetheless, for other friends, they've been across state lines. And so I had no idea there's this additional complication where people are bound to their state. So can you just expand on that a little bit? Because that was a little bit of a surprise. So what I heard you say is they're bound by their state. If they can't find someone, they can reach out to their network. So they they still can go out, but it sounds complicated to do that. 
Yeah, they can go out. And, and I don't want to discount what some adoption professionals, some adoption professionals have an extensive network, but got it. And it's like, oh, I know an attorney, like, you know, like they have kind of like a friend, friendly group. Got it. Um, but what, but, but yeah, so adoption is regulated at the state level. And so if you are an adoption attorney, you can practice in the state of Washington. You're not allowed to practice in Oregon or Idaho. You might have an attorney friend that practices over there. So if your family were to do something like I did, um, where I built an online profile and I connected with a mom in Michigan, um, there are professional groups. In fact, there's an amazing adoption professional attorney group called the, the Quad A. It's the Academy of Adoption and Assisted Reproduction Attorneys. Um, it's four A's. That's what kind of the, the slang name for it is the Quad A. Um, and those are adoption attorneys that are connected. Like they, they belong to this trade group so that they can you know, move, refer families across state lines. But in terms of creating the actual connections, there was nothing that existed. Um, and so that's why Pear Tree, we, when, we, when we first started Pear Tree, we were strictly geared towards adopting families and expectant moms. Um, but have realized kind of over the last two years of practicing that adoption professionals are so essential to this process and they've been somewhat ill-equipped because they haven't had technology. Technology has been kind of a bad word in adoption because there have been some bad actors in this space that have taken advantage of families. And so rightly so, adoption professionals have been skeptical for a while about like technology being introduced. But our technology actually connects the actual adoption professionals, the licensed ethical adoption professionals, and so um, it makes it it makes it easier to use and recommend to your families. Um, and you know, our goal is to path families and expectant moms to the professionals that are nearest them, so they can get the boots on the ground support that they need when they're going through it. But that way, all of the professionals have kind of a level playing field in terms of having access to the tools, the digital tools that their families expect um, and that are able to kind of network them so that they can do what they are licensed and trained and want to do, which is kind of more of the heart work around adoption. Right. And I'm assuming for now you're focusing on the U.S. and getting that right. Are you like, where does international adoption play a role. I know the laws are constantly changing. So yeah, exactly. Well, and also, um, so international adoption, there are around 4,000 of those that happened in the the U.S. So the numbers are starting to go way down and we are not doing international adoption. We have some agency partners that do international adoption. So when families come to us, we can refer them to the right agencies for them because a lot of agencies will specialize in country. It's not like an agency is like, we do all international. An agency will focus on Guatemala or Colombia or um, any other kind of uh, country that they're uh, focused on. But international, for the, for the reasons that you just stated, that there is a lot of red tape involved in those decisions. Um, and when countries get mad at each other, they close borders. And so for us, like there, there's enough work to do to modernize the process in just the United States. Um, however, I think our longer-term plans are Pear Tree Canada, or Pear Tree Australia, Pear Tree Sweden, so within country borders that are beyond the United States. You had mentioned uh, when we were talking about the network, so there are people bound um, by the state and some may have broader network. Can you just do like, a, especially for someone who's just entering this this process, can you 
just give us an education on the different types of places one can go and then <laughs> then going into like okay how does pear tree solve for all of these nuances i mm -hmm. i'm 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 not schooled anymore in this because i know the world has changed a lot and it's been about a decade for me so <laughs> yes no, no, it's so fine so Okay, so Adoption 101. So there are three major milestones on an adoption journey. We actually see four, but the rest of the world says three right now. The first one is you have to be what's called home study approved. No matter what state you live in, these are the milestones. You have to be number one, home study approved. And that is a process, um, it's kind of an evaluation or audit process to make sure that you are prepared for all the variables involved in adoption. And it's it's a pretty thorough process. You you go through and you fill out um, a paperwork, a kind of autobiographical paperwork, paperwork on you. If you're adopting with another person on them too, there's an evaluation of anybody else that lives in your home. You're doing background checks, clearances, you're getting personal references, professional references. There's a doctor that says like, yes, they are fit to parent a child. Um, so they're, they, they're pretty involved. It takes about two months. Um, and depending on what state you're on it, say you're in, it's around $2,000 to $5,000. Uh, the next step is what we call the connection. So you need to connect with an expectant mom or a birth mom. The transition there, like a woman that's actually pregnant and going to deliver an infant versus a woman that's already delivered and is looking to place uh, for adoption. And then the third step is legal. And, and that is a process you would go through with an attorney or agency, depending on what state you're in, um, to, to actually go through the finalization. So uh, for example, our two kiddos had a different last name for a few months after they were born um, because they weren't technically part of our family yet from a legal standpoint. And so that happens anywhere, typically three to six months after the child's born, they go through a process called, called finalization. Now, the fourth piece that we talked about that um, that is very different today in adoption is we call support and or family uh, the other kind of jaw dropper in adoption is that around 90% of adoptions are now open, meaning the adopting family and birth family will maintain some level of contact forever. And you do that in service to the child because all of the research says if uh, you can maintain that relationship and the, ch and the child can understand and see, if not interact with the people that made them understand where they come from, answer kind of the basic human identity questions, um, that it's healthier. So it sounds a lot like common sense, but it hasn't been common sense for a long time. But luckily, now 90% of adoptions are open. And open has a massive spectrum. Open can mean an email once a year with some videos and pictures, or it can mean they come to visit. Um, and you are their like, active participants in your in the child's life. And so that is kind of the fourth major milestone and it exists today, but we're hoping that we can make it even better. And so your question about from a state standpoint, depending on what state you're in, those first three major milestones, there are some states like the state of California, where you need to walk through all of those milestones with a licensed adoption agency. There are states like Washington where you can use an agency or you can do what we did where we kind of, you know, pick and chose the professionals that matched to this, the milestone that we were in. And there's states where you can do a mixture of both. And all of that, if you're curious, is available on paratreefamily.com. So you can see, depending on what state you're in, you know, what, what your options are. 
within each of those, I guess, just so someone's like mentally prepared and can put into context how pear tree is trying to solve the problem. Um, you know, the, the matching part is what I hear is, is a big piece is helping people work through that. But I can imagine each of these stages has their own challenges. And so I don't know how you want to walk us, us through that. Um, because I, I know that it's, you know, it's all in the nuance and until you get into the world, you don't realize all the nuances, including the emotional aspects of it. So maybe, I don't know how we want to walk through it. So I'll let you begin and then I can ask some questions. Sure. Yeah. So what we always recommend is make us your first stop. Um, so we have, again, like partnerships with licensed professionals in every state. And it's a little bit, I don't know if you're familiar with the term care matching. It's kind of seemingly becoming a bigger trend where you want to when somebody's looking for a doctor, that you want that doctor to align to kind of their cultural background, their values. Um, and it's it's very similar kind of this care matching principle in adoption professional matching is you want to make sure that that professional aligns to your values. For example, um, a lot of adoption is faith-based and so can be discriminating in terms of which families they bring on. And so if you're an LGBTQ couple, just starting the journey, please come to Pear Tree first. And we're going to make sure that you get matched to a professional who only works with LGBTQ families or has certain certifications to make sure that that, that professional will actually align to your values. Because it, we hear it, it's very sad, but it happens where an LGBTQ couple picks an agency and then that agency takes their money, but isn't presenting them to family, to expectant moms. So, and you've now answered one of my questions that I was going to ask earlier on is, does the LGBT community face challenges? And I almost wasn't going to ask them like, nowadays, it can't be that way. But it sounds like. Oh, it is. Yeah. And it's not just LGBTQ families. It's also single person families. So if you're a single woman or single man trying to adopt, there's, there are professionals that will not work with you. If you're of a certain age, professionals will not work with you. If you are other faithed people will not work with you. There are some states where the only agencies are Christian. So if you are Jewish in that state, there are agencies that will not work with you. It's fine. It's protected under their religious yep. freedoms, but, but we, but there are plenty of professionals that will work with you. And so we go through this so way, make us your first stop. We're going to help make sure pair you with the right professional. Got it. And then we have built the, the tools that those professionals you'll use. So they use again, to make this process more modern. So the for example, the home study process was notoriously heavy in paperwork, like absurdly so, like binders and binders of paperwork. I'm like, hey, let's just digitize this process for everybody. And so the, all of the professionals that we'll recommend you to, they use um, a digital process. We call it home base to walk you through your, your home study. So you have like this really custom dashboard and personalized task list that you're just checking off and two people can be in there working together and the, provi the provider can see how you're making progress or answer real-time questions. And so that's pretty slick. And then, and then we have what we call the connect platform. So once your home study approved, um, you can move towards the connect platform. And again, these are tools that your providers are using that we've, we've built for the professionals to make available to families. Um, but, and we're kind of just the back end software at this point, but it's, um, you know, they adopting families can build online profiles, um, and then expect at moms register and they can sort through those profiles based on whatever is most important to them. We use something called personality based profiles, um, because so many pro 
profiles were just kind of surface level, like, you know, what religion are you and where are you? And you're like, well, if you're an expectant mom trying to get an idea, what does, what does the future look like if I pick this family? Why don't we put the families through kind of a light personality test? Because personality is the leading indicator of behavior to give an expectant mom some sense of what the future would look like. And it's things like, you know, education is very important, but so is exploration. Like, you know, like taking your, that child and helping them see the world. And so it's not like a family doesn't like education. It's just that a family would prize exploration and traveling and exposing that child to new things more than education. And so that's the kind of uh, discernment that expectant moms that use pear tree can see when they're looking at adopting families. I just have to say, it's it's so interesting to talk to so many people on this podcast um, who are building things based on their own experiences. Like, who would have thought a personality quiz, right? Like, mm-hmm. clearly, you have been through this and understand it and are really talking to people about the overall experience. Can I ask quickly about the the home visit and the matching? So um, outside of you putting the the brilliant questionnaire together and expanding it on like personality based and all these other factors. Are there other nuances in there that, that people should be aware of? Like for the home study, for example, like are there things in there that would surprise people on either it's a rumor, but it's actually not the case or things that actually happen. People might want to be prepared for, for that home visit and even, even that matching part. Yeah. So the home studies are all, I would say probably, you know, we've, we've had the chance now to kind of audit home studies across the nation. And I would say probably 85% of the questions are the same. Okay. Um, but I, I mean, I do pr- want to prepare families like this isn't something you're going to like, you know, run through in a couple of hours. Like this is going to take you a couple of weeks. You typically okay. to get through all of the parts and pieces of it. Um, so the, the kind of the reference to having a bedroom, it's, it's very provider specific. So some States have, again, they have, you know, requirements, but then the providers also have preferences because it's the provider's name, um, that is going to be liable. And so, um, they, some providers are more strict and they add additional requirements other than what the state demands. Um, but no, I mean, a lot of people are quite, you know, they, they don't pursue it because they have say a DUI when they were younger and, um, or they had something in there. We all have pasts. Um, and so, and the, the goal of a home study is not to investigate and like catch somebody in their past and like, see, I knew it. You're out of here at all. The goal is to say like, even if you have struggled with any kind of substance abuse in the past. Um, that it's like, Hey, was it addressed? Were you able to identify it? What was it addressed and have you moved forward? And so those are the kinds of things like there, there's no monetary amount that you have to make in order to adopt in the United States. Um, LGBTQ families are allowed to adopt in all 50 States. Um, and so I think the, the only kind of deal breaker that is uh, a deal breaker is if you have been convicted of a crime against a child. Got it. And even even people who are single parents also have a path forward. So I would I would think a lot of these are just quick fears that might scare someone from even beginning. Oh, yeah. So I just wanted to make sure we address those so that <laughs> everyone's like, oh, I can't do pear tree because okay. 
that's yeah. good. I mean, and, and that's not a pear tree thing. That's a, that's a, that's a just adoption thing. Um, that it's, it's provider specific, but, um, anybody that's starting the process, you'd be able to meet with a provider ahead of moving forward to decide, like, is this something that I want to pursue? And you can always talk to a different provider um, right. to see if their requirements are any different. Right. I guess I, I had to ask because, and it's helpful to know it's the different providers that have the policies. Cause you know, you're in a lot of cases, this is just an overwhelming thing oh, yeah. and each thing you're not prepared for or don't fully understand could keep you out of the process because of you're not having the right resource to be able to, to figure it out. And it, it's exhausting when you're learning along the way. It is exhausting. And that's the other reason I tell families to make pear tree their first stop is because um, we also have a huge emphasis on education. I, I felt like I was a pretty researched and well-resourced person pursuing adoption. And then when we adopted, I was like, oh, wow, I am woefully unprepared for what this is. Um, because it's not having a biological child. It's not a substitute to having a biological child. It is a relationship with another family in 90% of the cases and a responsibility to answer openly and honestly questions from your children about where they come from, you know, right. in addition to all of the parenting that goes into the day to day. And so um, I think we make sure that families are have access to, there's kind of a Harvard of adoption education and we partner with them. We license all of their content and give it to our families for free, unlimited, because um, making sure that families are educated because the more educated a family is at the earliest stages, the smoother adoption goes, the more they understand, like, you know, a lot of families are fearful of open adoption because they feel like it's going to be like a random person showing up on your doorstep and, I'm here to say, like, I, I was one of those fearful people too. And having gone through it twice, I'm like, whoa, this was so different than I expected. It was one of the most beautiful things I have ever experienced. And still to this day, I crave the birth families. And I'm so grateful that they're willing to be part of our lives because I see the positive influence in our kids. And so it's like that, that process is like, it, that's an education process. And so we're trying to kind of seed that earlier, um, as early as we can in the process. And home study providers obviously help with that. And we give that education to all of our home study providers so that they have access to it and they can customize the education plans for the families going through it. But um, I think it, it kind of starts starts there. Anything else on the matching that you wanted to discuss um, outside of the efficiencies you sh and, and optimization? So I think there are, that, that is where the majority, I mean, the, the huge fees that are involved in adoption today, like the majority of those fees are on that quote unquote kind of matching or connection piece. And I think there are, there are ways to do it better. Um, and there are ways to do it more affordably for the adopting family, more ethically for the expectant mom. But there, I mean, one of the things that we work on constantly is um, there are a bunch of bad actors out there. And so making sure that you're working with an ethical professional is super important. That isn't um, coercive to an expectant mom. You know, if a, if a mom walks into an agency, making sure that she's getting truly objective options counseling, not being coerced into choosing adoption. Um, because again, adopting families, this is a hard concept to understand, but because they have tunnel vision, a lot of them want to become a parent so badly. And I get it. I was there, but if that adoption isn't happening above board and ethically, or if the, the birth mom or the adoptive or expectant mom is being coerced, 
that has massive long-term implications that are not positive. And so like you, again, like that idea of like openly and honestly being able to communicate all of the details around the adoption, um, like you're going to be talking to a 10-year-old one day explaining this. And so you want to be able to explain that everything was done above board. This was a decision that your your expectant or the, your birth parents chose because they were educated, because they loved you, because they wanted to make sure that you had the most opportunity, like all of the reasons that families choose to place for adoption. Um, because if, if, you're, if you're picking a professional or you're picking a path because you'll get picked first, um, it's, a, it's a dangerous mindset to be in as an adopting family. So that's that kind of my one caution for any, any adopting family going through um, the matching or the connection process. But again, come to PeerTree first. We'll make sure you get connected to the right yes. ethical adoption professional. <laughs> and what about, uh, so you talked about um, the, you know, staying in touch with the family and how um, now 90% um, are open adoption. So I guess, can you talk a little bit more about what that might look like and maybe fears that people have that, you know, I think they're, legitimate. So I can't, I don't know if I can even ask the question of like myths and facts. I don't know if there are myths and facts about it, but like help us understand like what people should be prepared for and maybe addressing some of the fears or misconceptions is probably a better way to put it. Yeah. So I think it's good to understand, have a little bit of context around like where people are, like the different perspectives of an, uh, a, an expectant mom's two greatest fears when she's exploring adoption is that the child will grow up feeling unloved by her or unwanted, unloved by her and that she'll be cut out of that child's life. Um, and so when you think about it from that standpoint and then you layer on research uh, that says, you know, like open adoptions are the healthiest for adoptees. It just, it just makes it a very simple understanding. Like, yes, of course, open adoption is the path. But then again, there's a spectrum of what open adoption is and means. And so, um, and adopting families are fearful of that. And I understand where they're coming from because a lot of them, they're not sure they want another family in, in their life. It's not, the, it's not the dream that they had. And so this process of going through and kind of letting go of the dream that they had and hopefully understanding and realizing there is a new dream um, is, is a complicated transition to make. But I think um, talking about kind of the spectrum of what open means. So it, it actually happens in our family. We have a, a relationship with a birth family in our own family that there's an email or two a year. And we have a relationship with one of our birth or our, our kids' birth families where they come visit. And we text multiple times a month. And whenever our kiddo does something amazing, they're the first people we think of. And we have these sports rivalries going on between our cities. And um, they send gifts to both of our children. Um, you know, and we send gifts to theirs. And so it's, it's very open on the spectrum. But I think adopting families are fearful that it's going to be co-parenting. And um, that's not what it is. That's not what it is at all. It's about exposing your children to their, the people that made them, you know, right. and the people that chose this incredibly hard path for them to choose to create a much better path for their kids, you know? So it's like, 
if anything, I think, and again, it's one of those things you cannot tell people this enough. They just have to somewhat go through it is, yeah. um, I have more respect for, uh, the birth families of our kids than anyone else on this planet, because like they signed up for grief for the rest of their lives, you know, and it's, and they did it solely out of love for, for the, the children that I get to raise, that I get to parent. And so it is like, my joy is the inverse to their pain and grief. And that that's really true. And it's hard to accept that. But there is beauty in that too. And especially as, you know, like the other day, our daughter announced that she wants to call me mom and her birth mom, mama, you know, and that's something that's like, okay, honey, you know, like, that's lovely. And I texted birth mom right away, like, listen to this. You know, so it's like, that's the kind of thing that like, it can be beautiful. Um, it's, it's hard and it is complex and it is dynamic, but there is, there is real beauty in it too. But anything just that we haven't covered, you, you would want people to, to know about. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the, I mean, one of the things that we're working on, it does have to do with kind of the logistics of cost is I think overall adoption is becoming a path that, you know, for a long time, it was kind of whispered, like she's adopted. Right. You know, it's not whispered anymore. It's, it's a path that most employers or at least kind of employers that understand inclusivity or inclusivity is important to them will include in their kind of family building benefits plans. And so I would encourage people, like, if you think it's out of reach financially, please come to Pear Tree first and do, do the research, talk to the professionals that we work with because cost is something that we include in ethics you know, it can't be this excessive, totally inaccessible fee. Um, but also, um, you know, we partner with a lot of the family building benefits companies like um, Carrot, Kindbody, Maven. Um, they all take a, they all are working with Pear Tree to ensure that their members have access to the Pear Tree platform um, and, and that their employers provide a lot, some of them a lot of financial assistance. Um, we were talking to one of the big family building benefits companies the other day, and one of those employers was giving their families $75,000 to pursue whichever family building path aligned to them, whether that was IVF, whether that was surrogacy, whether that was adoption. And I'm like, whoa, that is wow. incredible that they recognize that um, and that not every path is right for every particular person. And so that's the world I feel like we're headed down. So I was like, a lot of people are like, they just, they've just ruled adoption out of the equation because like, I can't afford that. And I say there is way more help out there now. And, and there are a number of nonprofits. We work with an incredible nonprofit called Worth the Wait, and they raise money, provide grants and scholarships to families who were one of the partners has, is a cancer survivor and pay for their fertility journeys, whether that's, or family building journey, again, surrogacy, adoption, whatever it is. So there's so much help. So I just say like, come and, and check it out. And you know, every consultation with Peartree is always free um, so that we can help you understand what the options might be. Wow. <laughs> and, it's, and it sounds like, I mean, when we first spoke, you were just starting to talk to Kind Body and the others. And it, we it's not like we spoke six years ago. It was a couple months, right? Yes. So, wow, holy cow. So you know what, do you want to tell us how that's going? I don't know what all you can share, but that's incredible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they are incredible platforms. They, they, and, you know, kudos not to me, but to, you know, the, the, 
the entire partnership, but people that recognize like, okay, adoption needs to be improved. And I mean, there isn't too much to say other than they are recommending families to us. And we're thrilled that we get to help more families that are pursuing adoption at whatever stage they're in. And and we tell them like, you know, families that are just exploring options, we're happy to explain adoption options within that exploration set. Families that are already on adoption journeys, we're happy. There's always additional options, even if you're already on an adoption journey. Families that are interested in receiving donated embryos, we're happy to talk to about that. But we have this pretty incredible team at Pear Tree that is comprised of just about every perspective around. So um, adoption professionals, birth parents, adoptive families, and adoptees. So that kind of multi-perspective approach, I think, gives us you know the ability to help a lot of different families. Wow. Well, it is my honor to be connecting with you and helping spread the word. And I'm so happy that um, people are really here to support you. It's it's well-deserved. And um, I'm just excited to see what happens in the near future. So congratulations. And thank you so much for making time. Well, thanks for giving us the chance to talk about it. Thanks, Georgie. Sure. And um, for everyone listening, be sure to check out the show notes and I'll put links to Pear Tree and other resources that you'd like to share um, in the show notes for people to, to follow you and learn more. So thank you again. Thanks. And that wraps up another empowering session here at the FemPower Health Podcast. Now, before you dash off, I've got a quick, exciting invitation for you. Please join our vibrant community by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, because it's really your frontline update on groundbreaking women's health research, the latest health-enhancing products, fun quizzes to boost your health IQ, and unique discoveries that you won't want to miss. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms. Love today's insights? Show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast. Your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower Health. It lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. And for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower-health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge, neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply. Whether you have a question, a story to share, or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at fempower-health.com. Drop us a message on social media or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations. And a quick note, the knowledge we share is here to embolden you in discussions with your healthcare provider. It's not medical advice. Always consult with your doctor for health decisions. And remember, the diverse perspectives of our guests reflect their individual journeys, and it's not an endorsement by FemPower Health. Here's to empowering your health journey one episode at a time, and I'll see you on the next FemPower Health podcast episode.